Hello, everyone. Before we get the show started, the psychosocial podcast is not a replacement for therapy or mental health treatment. The conversation is for informational and entertainment purposes only. If you find yourself needing professional help, seek treatment with a qualified therapist. Thank you. Now enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Psychosocial Podcast. Today's topic is queer mental health, and we have a special guest joining us today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Go ahead. Hi everyone, so happy to be here. My name is Jesse Escalante. I use uh, he, him, his pronouns. I am 25 years old and a resident in San Francisco, currently going to school full-time at Berkeley, getting my master's in social work. Uh, also been a contemporary dancer since I've been 14, so a little fun fact about me, and yeah, just super excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so let's get started, right? I think that this is an important topic. We just had uh, Pride Month last month, right in June, and the you know the work continues. So queer mental health. Um, you know, I did want to just start off by asking Jesse if he would be able to just share a little bit around what queer means, right, for folks out there who might not be familiar with the word or have heard it but don't really know um, in relevance to uh, the LGBTQ plus community, but also why we're using the word queer today. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I always like to start off with any opinion piece by saying, you know, this is my perspective and this is how I um, conceptualize a certain word and this is not to speak on anyone else's experience. Uh, for me personally, queer is about breaking what sexuality and gender means, breaking those boundaries and limitations. Sometimes when we use very specific words like gay or lesbian, to some of us, we can interpret that as boxing us in when it comes to how we express gender and sexuality. But queer can be so open and so free. And for me, it allows me to be feminine or masculine when I want to be and allows me to just express myself without boundaries. So that's what queer means to me. And that's why I find it so important to use that word in my own language. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. So when we're talking about mental health for any group, we have to take into account how groups are impacted, right? How their mental health is impacted. And so when we're talking about the queer community, and uh, just for the sake of this episode, when we say queer, we're, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, also bunch people together, but we are going to be including uh, other members of the LGBTQ plus community uh, in this conversation. But when we're talking about mental health in these communities, it's important to recognize, um, you know, just the, the environmental stressors, right, that take place for a lot of these folks, whether it's, it's discrimination, microaggressions, whether it's hate crimes, whether it's um, political, right, the legality. I know there's still a lot of countries out there where uh, identifying as any member of the LGBTQ or queer is considered illegal. Um, and these are things that, you know, are, are constantly played out, especially in this society. So when we're talking about mental health, it's important to consider these stressors. Uh, but also, you know, the statistics, right? We, we see these statistics all the time, uh, higher rates of suicide ideation, higher rates of homelessness, you know, uh, substance use and in the way that these um, these topics are addressed often do a lot more around shaming and re-stigmatizing, re-traumatizing these communities. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Luis, uh, because I've been thinking a lot about um, just like the mental health factors, the psychosocial stressors, and also know, knowing that um, 
there are interse- intersectionalities, right, mm-hmm. within these identities. And as someone who identifies as an ally and even as someone who's like actively exploring my sexuality, I would say that it's not just black and white. There's not there's like so many factors that really um, impact mental health, right? I mean, we talk about, as you mentioned, um, homophobia, transphobia, discrimination, uh, but also when you layer up uh, being a, a black indigenous folk of color, right, there are other factors that impact, um, you know, mental health, mm-hmm. you know, trauma that bring uh, forth uh, anxiety, depression, as you mentioned, suicide rates, um, and even homelessness, right? We uh, And we know that um, statistically youth um, are more... Um, you know, they, they experience more hom- homelessness, yeah. right? And a sense of, you know, rejection and mm-hmm. uh, a denial of, of, you know, human rights. So I think it's important to really um, just be aware of that as, you know, even as a, as a mental health clinician, how do I support um, someone who is navigating, you know, their identity, mm-hmm. um, not only their sexuality, but other forms of identity. Exactly, exactly. And I think that you bring up a good point about just honoring people's identities, right? What they choose to identify as or w- where they're coming from in terms of their own experiences without having to have us label or place some type of uh, container around them, right, to really um, let them discover and I think that that's something um, that I would say is crucial in mental health right our formation of identity our ability to explore our need to feel loved and wanted Uh, and you brought up some other good points Cynthia too with the statistics that we were talking about right how uh, a lot of queer folks you know often have to go through that first big challenge right of of navigating their current environment right with the fear of possibly being disowned, displaced, um, you know, being rejected. And that's going to be one of the biggest impacts, right, on mental health is how the people that we uh, care about and who care about us, how they respond to us when we're exploring this identity, especially because we live in a society that is very much patriarchal um, and very much rooted in white supremacy and black and white thinking that doesn't allow often for the range and you know that is required when it comes to identity formation. Yeah, one thing that I think is so important when it comes to talking about queer mental health is a sense of community. And I remember I did this photo shoot that was around like pride and love and they asked me like, um, like what would you, what would your message be to younger queer youth? And my message is always like find community because as queer people, something that impacts our mental health so much is, is rejection. It is that fear of not being good enough and not belonging in some places. And that's why I find it so beautiful when we have cities like San Francisco or Oakland or New York or Toronto, wherever it may be, that cultivates this space of openness and love and compassion for queer people because so many of us are moving away from home structures that we're not accepting of who we are. And so we go finding, you know, our chosen family, our chosen homes. And personally, I don't know where I would be with my mental health if I didn't have San Francisco as my home that accepted me. Um, luckily, my my family was accepting, but my city itself was not accepting. And so going somewhere that allowed me to be who I am was so powerful. Also recognizing that's a privilege, you know, like not everyone has the resources 
to move away and to afford expensive cities because these cities that are accepting are also very expensive and they're not affordable for every queer person, especially queer people of color that don't have these economic resources. And so that's always a question, like how do we cultivate community even in rural places? Because to say that every queer person can just move away to an accepting city, that's not reality. Absolutely. I think that that's very important to take into account, right, that there is uh, a privilege in being able to leave a lot of these situations, right, and being able to find community. Uh, you know, one of the great things I think now because of the pandemic has been the interconnectedness that has happened with the use of technology. Uh, you know, I, I work with many folks who share with me that they've found others who relate or, or are similar to them online and they've been able to connect with them and support one another without even meeting, without ever actually seeing each other sometimes um, in other states and other places where there's not a lot of uh, open and out folks, right, for various reasons, whether the states are very like uh, conservative or whether it's just not safe. Uh, so I think it is important to find community and it, it is a little bit easier now in the sense of being able to access video uh, technologies and stuff like that. Um, you know, the other part of that too is really understanding um, the fact that a lot of queer people experience trauma from the get-go, right? I mean, a lot of folks that are born into this world are automatically having to deal with a lot of rejection, with a lot of assumptions, with a lot of fear, with a lot of ignorance, uh, because people don't understand or, you know, they're not exposed to it or whatever the reason may be. And so, from that moment, right, we're already questioned, we're told about gender, we're told about sexuality, uh, you know, very simple things um, like those structures that a lot of people uh, run into confusion because they don't either fit in those two polars, uh, those two poles, and it, it can feel very much uh, traumatizing to have to navigate that without having support, right? And at that age, I mean, it's not like we can go look for community, so I think that's also uh, a lot of work on the parent side, right, and really understanding and educating themselves about these things and how uh, it impacts children's development, right, when they're being stunted or when they're being uh, shamed or guilt-tripped into fitting binaries and, uh, you know, even like you can't play with this, you can't play with that, or you're a boy, you need to do this, you can't cry, or you're a girl and you need to, you know, I don't know, play tea time or whatever all the time and that's all you can do you can't play with cars or sports you know these binaries and structures definitely impact queer folks because they're limiting and they also take away the opportunity to really like I said you know in, invest into that self-exploration and so a lot of people come out kind of trying to figure out like who am I right when they're in their 20s when they're able to finally get out and trying to figure out who they are um, and it's a journey you know the identity is, is a big piece and also not a lot of people come out, right? Because there's safety concerns, right? And it's not okay for, you know, people to be forced to come out. And I know that, you know, Luis, you, you have um, an article about that, but it's it's complex and not there's, you know, some people are not safe and that is okay. They don't have to come out. There's, you know, and even if, if they do, there's still a lot, you know, um, that folks need to kind of go through, right? This sense of self-acceptance, but also acceptance of friends and family and uh, of, of a society as a whole. So there's a lot of internalized, um, I guess, oppression or internalized mm -hmm. homophobia or internalized transphobia that, you know, um, 
it's 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 you know complex it's complex definitely definitely because you know these are internalized messages right that we carry i know for myself i had to undo a lot of these religious just kind of messages that i was given by my parents around like what it meant to be gay uh you know about going to hell about being feminine or being too you know being masculine all of these things that took years and years not just on my own but through therapy and through connecting with other folks to dismantle those things and to really give myself an opportunity to explore myself as a human being and to really explore my identity. Um, and thank you for mentioning that article, Cynthia. Yes, um, I did write an article called Stop Telling Queer Folks to Come Out. And the reason why I wrote that article is because I often hear this new wave and kind of like, um, I guess, just big movement on, you know, come out, come out, it gets better, things will be better. But the reality is that we are not in other people's situations. And coming out is just one step in a process and it's not the only step and it's not a step that always needs to happen. Uh, you know, when we out folks, when we tell them this, uh, especially if they're dealing with things like, you know, domestic violence or, or other issues at home, it, it just, it, it's a little bit debilitating, right? This idea that if you come out, you'd be accepted, you'd be loved. And unfortunately that's not the case for a lot of folks. So I'm very big on letting people celebrate themselves in any way that they want or can uh, while also allowing them to make the decision of whether they do want to come out or not and what that means for them to be able to process those experiences. Um, you know, because not everyone can feel safe emotionally, psychologically, or even physically in some spaces. Or, you know, like uh, Jesse also mentioned, like the not feeling safe in the town that he was in, the city that he was in, that he had to go to some place where it was accepted. You know, not everyone has that luxury. So we need to understand that and not use the coming out card as something that... Um, is an automatic, you know, happiness or, or yeah. Yeah. And I think one issue I've always had with the idea of coming out, um, and one problem I had with it is it's always portrayed in media as the only issue queer people go through. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why I personally, and I won't name them, but I haven't seen certain movies, um, or I don't watch certain like gay content because the only storyline in it is, and I'll be frank here, is usually white men coming out. Mm -hmm. And I think that it fails to um, portray the intersectional issues that queer people go through, especially queer people of color. Mm -hmm. Speaking as someone that identifies as Mexican and cisgendered male, like before I even faced coming out, I was facing hyper-masculinity. I was facing racism. I was facing... Um, sexism that was happening to the women in my family and how that affected me as if as someone that was very feminine and then i came out at 14 but before 14 it was all these issues that were that were unfolding in my life and so i think to say that the only issue queer people go through is coming out and validates our experiences because we are complex people that go through so many different things and i'm and i'm ready to see media portraying queer people going through other issues besides just coming out, not to underplay coming out, not to invalidate that it is a big part of our lives, but it's not the only thing in our life. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think that there needs to be a lot of reshifting into celebrating queer lives instead of just focusing on the coming out process. Um, that's, you know, in reality, it is overplayed, right? And oftentimes not even by uh, folks in our community, but told by folks who are 
you know, not part of, of the queer community or who don't identify as queer. And so, uh, you know, I'm also very big on the same thing watching. I, I do actually love to watch these movies, but mostly it's because I think it, it's great, right, to have the content. But in a lot of ways, it's almost like watching some Disney movies, right, where it's like the happily ever after. And it's like, OK, and, you know, not really. There, there's still a lot of other issues. I mean, people are still homeless, right? People are still being kicked out of their homes. It, and not everyone gets the big hug at the end and told that it's OK. Uh, you know, I know for me, for example, when I told my parents, the first thing my mom said was, you're going to go to hell. And I remember sitting there just instantly traumatized, trying to figure out what to say, what to do, almost knowing that that was going to be the reaction, but not, you know, it's different when you're sitting there and you hear it. And, you know, this this was like 10 years ago. So I I do want to share that things have changed. You know, my mom and I have always been close. We're close again. uh, And she's definitely worked through a lot of her own stuff to become more accepting. But at the same time, that still stays in my mind a lot because it was the first word that I got. And I know it was centered in fear. And so I think it's so important for people to recognize that we all come from very different situations. These things do impact us. We do carry them with us. And I think that in terms of queer mental health, we need to acknowledge the complexities um, and not just highlight that one part, but also acknowledge that there's so many amazing things that queer folks do, the art, you know, the expressiveness. Um, aside from that, all the contributions that they make, uh, you know, I think it's important to also shift focus into that and to celebrate queer lives and not just, you know, the coming out process. Uh, so thank you for sharing that, uh, Jesse, and talking about that. Um, Jesse, I was just curious um, as, um, thank you, Luis. I think that's um, uh, really important. You know, thank you for, for sharing your story and your, your own personal journey, your mm-hmm. family story. And um, I'm glad that your your family's a, a little bit more accepting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's still the, its own struggles, yeah. you know. Um, but Jesse, I was wondering, um, I wanted to ask you, like what, when you said that, you know, you don't want um, the media only to show like you know queer people coming out like what other themes or topics would you like to see more of yeah I think a really great example that I always tell people if you haven't seen that go see it is Moonlight um, I think Moonlight really was this intersectional mm-hmm. story that that yes it was about coming out but the main character was also facing like hyper masculinity that is so predominant in in male culture mm-hmm. in in men of color it was about like internalized homophobia and self-acceptance and it was also just about like like brothership and friendship and community and like it was i think it was the complex issues on what makes coming out so hard right like coming out isn't hard just because it's hard it's hard because you're battling all these constructs of who you have to be who you should be and i think once we talk about coming out more holistically and how complex it can be we can really deconstruct um why we have to come out in the first place why is it that mm-hmm. queer people have to come out and straight people don't mm-hmm. and it's because we're battling all these these voices that are saying you should be this you should be that you can't be this you can't be that mm-hmm. and so those are the stories i think i'm looking more forward to in media and we're seeing a little bit more as we step into the future but for me the first time i felt um we were getting there was with moonlight great great thank you for sharing that you know one thing that you were you just said that also brought something up for me was uh the complexities of coming out and and, you know something that's very unique right to most queer folks or all queer folks um 
know, depending. Uh, it, it, it's this, this idea that we're constantly having to come out. So it's not just a one-time thing, right? We're constantly questioned. Like say, for example, you know, I've come out to my parents, but I still get asked by people who meet me, oh, I didn't know you were gay or you, are you gay? Or, oh, this is your partner, you know, oh, oh, you're gay. And it's, it's this constant having to like come out sequence that can also be very re-traumatizing, you know, especially for folks who uh, live in spaces where, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions or uh, or ignorance around just identity and sexuality, right? And having to say, you know, I'm gay, um, even just having to say it, right? Like even for me right now, just saying it almost brought up something like this this kind of thought, this flashback, right, of having to continuously say that in a lot of different spaces and how that's felt for me. Um, so I, I thank you for mentioning that, Jesse, and I think it's uh, important for us to recognize all of these things and just how complex it is. Yeah, thank you. And I think coming back to, you know, queer mental health and even us as, as mental health professionals, uh, some of the things that um, are important in, you know, in our practice or, you know, in my experience working with queer folks is um, just really allowing a space for acceptance, right? Um, and for exploring what acceptance means, right? Because as we talked about um, the internalized oppression, the internalized homophobia or transphobia, that is real. And it's something that it's comes from, you know, these belief systems, these internalized family systems, right? So even exploring all of these things, you know, what, what were some of the things that were taught when you grew up? What were some of the, you know, the messages that you received about, you know, hom uh, you know, queerness or, you know, uh, identity in general, right? So just exploring that and also exploring intersectionality, like, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, black indigenous folk of color, you know, and having various identities, right, and having to navigate various systems, like how does that impact you, right, and also other psychosocial factors, right, and also um, exploring the coming out, um, you know, conversation and, and what that means for them, right, and just meeting them with where they're at. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing, right? Yeah, and thank you, Cynthia, for mentioning something that I think is I was talking about this in class and it was the shift of the disease model to a biopsychosocial model. And I think when we talk about mental health, that's so important. And so, you know, for those of you who are like, what is, what, what is, what are these terms, you know, basically the disease model is saying that like mental health is treated as a disease or a substance use, you know, and a biopsychosocial is saying that these are actually very complex issues that come from biological, sociological, psychological, and also spiritual things. And I think that when we look at mental health and substance use in these broader terms, we can better conceptualize where they're coming from. But to simply say, oh, this is a disease and so we're going to cure it with medicine, I think it invalidates that we go through systemic oppression, we go through homophobia and transphobia. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for mentioning that because I think as clinicians, that's really our job. How do we help our clients? We don't we don't pathologize them to just their, their diagnosis. We say, hey, you're a human being that's been through racism, um, sexism, all these things. And that is what's contributing to your depression or anxiety exactly, or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, yeah. And um, thank you. And another thing I wanted to add to that um, was that for me as um, a cisgendered uh, woman, right? So I was like born as a woman, I identify as a woman and um, also um, being straight, right? Is like when providing services, 
um, to someone that is queer is for me myself being aware and conscious, right? Because, you know, just having access to resources sometimes can be a challenge and making sure that I am not making that, you know, once they're in um, receiving the services, making sure that I am not making it any more difficult for people that are queer, you know, so making sure that mm-hmm. I am aware of my own internalized homophobia and also not like being like, oh, so like teach me about what it means to be queer, right? Because it's like, no, I need to do my own homework and not leave it up to my um, clients to be teaching me because that's not, it goes, I think, back to um, like not wanting to like re traumatize, but also really just coming from this curious um, place, but also like being open and genuine. And also like you were all saying earlier, right? It's like your experience matters. Tell me about your experience. Like what happened? Because it's not also this cookie cutter experience, right? Because Mm -hmm. like you're all saying, it's Mm -hmm. like can be very complex. And just, I wanna make sure that I'm not making those services even harder or re-traumatizing or being like, or the person leaving and being like, oh, I'm never going to go to a therapist or mental health because they just don't get it or they don't understand me. You know, I want them mm-hmm. to make sure that they go away feeling heard and seen and their experiences validated and safe as well, too. Yeah. yeah. And I want to add just like respected, too, because I think a lot of uh, mental health professionals need to also respect folks you know, whatever their pronouns are, whatever their identity is. You don't have to understand it. It's not your identity it's respecting it it's acknowledging it it's honoring it um you know and taking it into account um and uh, we want to thank jesse for joining us today for this talk uh we are at the end of our time um you know jesse and i also did a talk that's on our instagram in our instagram videos and on uh it was on gay men's mental health but we actually moved into queer uh, mental health as well so uh check it out And we want to thank you for joining us again. And we'll see you next time here on the Psychosocial Podcast.